conversations. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mid Conversation oh. with me, Uyghur. And, and me, uh, Karanjul Arnog. Yes, and today we're going to be talking about the Hepatitis C. <laughs> well, now that's our nice racist introduction to this episode of Mad Conversations. It's Rahul here. And Scott. And today we're going to be talking about Hepatitis C. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, that's pretty sure. As uh, always, let's kick off with a case. Yeah, so we'll, <laughs> we'll try and keep it a bit more serious here. Uh, so... Now, fast forward six years into your life and several bad life decisions into your future, and you are a gastro-reg sitting in a clinic in suburban Melbourne when Lorenzo walks in. He's 38 years old and almost two metres tall. He's wearing a button-down shirt, barely consuming his forearm tattoos of um, Julia Gillard, mm. both sides. Popular one ever since yeah. 2010. <laughs> Very topical. Mm. Not really. Um, he's a pastry chef. Lorenzo's a pastry chef, and he's an open-minded and friendly guy, always ready to try something new. His love of experimentation has also made him an aficionado of opioids of the intravenous variety. And after a recent screening test, his GP has referred him to you with a positive hep C antibody test and plenty of questions. Mm. He looks at you earnestly from his height. Has my time run out, Doc? He asks you, will I ever inject again? Uh, is he standing while you're sitting in this gastro clinic? Uh, that's how I want to start a program. Yeah, I think so. He's, he's mm. just walked in and he's just, you know... He's throwing some moves. Straight question, to... straight to your face. <laughs> yeah, he's Bang, probably got like a one point five me- like meter advantage on you. Very intimidating. You know? Although you know, I recently, I've been a patient recently, and I've realised what it's like to be lying down when people come up to you and talk to you. It's a very weird experience. <laughs> like when we do this to everyone every day, it is very strange to just go in and like look someone down their yeah. face and just be like, "You don't have much time left." Bye. Super, <laughs> super intimidating. Yeah. Anyway. So, hep C. So, it was originally described as non-A, non-B hepatitis before no. it was identified it's in accurate. 1989. Which, it's yeah, accurate. was totally accurate. Yeah. They couldn't think of anything else that it could be. <laughs> it's not, not A, a it's not B, who knows? <laughs> Where are we going with this? Um, and it's really important. The worldwide prevalence is about 1%. So, there's about 140 million people worldwide, 350,000 to 500,000 deaths globally every year. And in Australia, it's the most common cause of chronic viral hepatitis, even though globally it lags behind hep B. So the really cool thing about hep C now is that um, new treatments within the last couple of years are just way more effective than the old ones. And it's now essentially a curable disease. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you get to live through a disease that changes like that and you get to see it become curable with these new treatments. I mean, there was old treatments that were just very, very toxic and weren't very effective. Essentially just poisoning people. Yeah. And I guess some proportion of those people would randomly cure the disease. And you're like, there you go, boom. Yeah, like Slightly 19... better than 50-50 flip of a coin. Yeah. yeah, like 1990, I think, was about 10% with the first kind of mm. monotherapies that were around. And it's gotten better since then. So the reason that we care about hep C is that um, you can develop cirrhosis and subsequently develop hepatocellular carcinoma. Um, and in endemic areas, it's actually the major cause of hepatocellular carcinoma, HCC. And in Australia, it's still the first cause for liver transplants. The largest cause of liver transplant. Although those those numbers are shifting now as, you know, there's more non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, um, sort of mm. non-alcoholic fatty liver diseases coming up. Yeah, and as we're curing all the hep C as well. Mm. It's true. So who would have hep C and who do we need to think about it in? So in Australia, it's 80 to 90% IVDU. So that's way more skewed than the hep B kind of pattern. Um and the risk of transmitting it from sex is actually quite low. Um, it's estimated to be under 1%. So 
They think maybe it's increased if you also have HIV, but there aren't even really recommendations around safe sex if you have it. Apart from a... What type of, what type of <laughs> sex do you think is the most likely to transfer, transmit hep C, Scott? Mm, good question. Well, I read a very informative 2015 Lancet review, mm. which um, said that the transmission is often um, via the kind of mucous membrane. So it's often by kind of different sexual practices. And oh, different... Well, I guess I, I'm a pretty conservative <laughs> guy overall, and I was wondering... A missionary man. Where, I'm a missionary man. <laughs> Michelin missionary man. Yeah, I was wondering all what, about procreation. Right? Yeah, that's there. Yeah, it's just, it serves a purpose, and it shall not deviate from that purpose. So, what type of yeah, what well, other types of sex are people engaging in that potentially transmits Hep C? Mm, so, according to the Lancet researchers, they they mentioned group sex and fisting as being important ah, causes. Fisting, of, yes, the, transmission. The, the so, medical terminology. So that's probably one of the most important <laughs> kind of takeaway points to to remember about Hep C. <laughs> but anyway, they actually in this review mentioned fisting specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and they also they sort of come up with this like they've identified phenotypic, um, you know patterns in you know i think in the homosexual community specifically and they can identify sort of networks of people who are sleeping together in like large groups it sounds mm. like with particular sexual practices it sounds like a fisting cartel to me sexual yeah. practices. <laughs> <laughs> good work lancet some strong investigative journalism yeah. I haven't seen that word in the lancet before i was quite, <laughs> I was quite surprised anyway um the risk of vertical transmission is also really important so they estimate that the risk from a hep c mum uh, might be somewhere between um, 1% and 8%. Um, they don't think that it's usually transmitted via breastfeeding unless you've got, obviously, bleeding from your nipples or something like that. Um, if you get a needle stick injury, you're also at pretty high risk. Yeah, is there a... I know for HIV, sort of the big thing is pre-exposure prophylaxis and post-exposure prophylaxis where you give people medication mm. around the time they've been exposed to the virus if they know when it is. Is there an equivalent like that, Scott, for hepatitis C? No. So there's no current recommendations for kind of post Oh. Um, post-exposure prophylaxis or pre-exposure prophylaxis and um, they don't really know but the estimates of transmission from things like needle sticks can be up to kind of 8 or 10% in some cases so basically be very careful if you've got yeah. a hep C patient I've um, actually needle stuck myself with blood from someone who had hep C I don't have hep C <laughs> thankfully that wasn't like the reason my earlier illusion to be building up healthcare. just you know yeah. public acknowledgement <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this is how condition. I tell the world yeah um, so who who should we be screening, Scott? So IVD drug users, prisoners, people with a lot of tats, uh, men who have sex with men. So pretty much all the stereotypes. Of yeah, all the disadvantaged kind of minority groups that yeah. we can... You just can, we can more stigmatization for those guys. Yeah, put up the stigma. Yeah. Um, HIV, 20 to 30% of people with HIV have hep C, so really important to screen them. Mm. Um, hep B, hep A, any liver disease, um, people with cryoglobulinemia, which we'll mention again a bit later. Yeah, it's one of those buzzwords in hep C and a few other diseases, cryoglobulinemia. If you're a medical student, you probably won't ever really have to know about what it is during med school, but for residents, maybe it's a good idea to start knowing. So we'll talk about that later. Mm. If you want to look smart, good mm. little extra point. Mm. Um, and also, obviously, migrants um, or people born to people from high-prevalence areas. It's a bit more kind of... Um, variable where in the world has hep C than kind of some other diseases like hep B. Yeah, um, I was looking at that map we were looking at earlier and like you got places, like the United States is really high prevalence. France, um, I think, was one of them. France and Germany. Yeah, Mongolia yeah. is quite high, which yeah, it's can little, maybe partially that. justify our horrible... Yeah, I mean, yeah. there weren't Mongolian accents. That, was definitely, sure they were. <laughs> no, that was definitely <laughs> the reason we did those weird Uzbeki accents at the start. Yeah, uh, Uzbek, Mongolia, basically yeah, the same country. Same. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and there's also a lot of kind of funny kind of regional, not funny, <laughs> re- regional risk factors. Like, for example, in Egypt and Italy, they had some really unsafe vaccination programs in like kind of mid last century. And actually a lot Italy, of people got hep C. Italy just kind of dropped off as a, you know, everyone thinks of Italy as a developed nation, but I feel like occasionally the Italians just really muck something up like that. Like, ah, these guys, I don't know if they're really up there. Yeah. This is that southern Italian attitude. Like, hey, it's okay. You know, eat some pasta. Oh, no more. Yeah, I love it, bro. No We're more. getting into so much like, <laughs> disparaging of various kind of ethnic issues. Yeah, I, I love just, Italians. It's just, yeah. Okay. I'll you just, you just, you know, subconsciously discriminate against them. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. That's all right. I accept, I accept uh, yeah, your yeah. lack of acceptance. Thank you. That's, um, well, so. I learn from you. <laughs> So prisoners, people with tattoos, um, low SES people, or people with a lot of high-risk sexual behaviours, and people with HIV. Okay. So, or uh, men who have sex with men. So to talk a bit about the virology of Hep C, do you know anything about it, Raul? Yeah, definitely, man. But I feel like you should. You need more practice uh, with it. So maybe you should tell them about it, and then I'll see whether you're right or not. That's probably yeah, how we should do just this. Just chip in. Yeah. Like yeah, a yeah. I'll just of... correct you, like a, a, a guide, the guiding hand of the father as you go along. Yeah. You go. Like you go for spiritual break. guide. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's kind of start this journey. So, <laughs> um, Hep C is an enveloped positive single strand um, RNA virus. Uh, it's a f- from the Flaviviridae family, which isn't important to know, but it's in the same family as dengue and yellow fever and Zika virus, so a bit similar to them. Um, it replicates mainly, preferably in hepatocytes. Makes sense. Yeah, liver, hepatitis, hepatitis, hepatocytes. hepatitis C. It's in the name. Yeah, there we go. The guy just kicking in, just you yeah, know. just guiding. There we go. <laughs> yeah, our kind of <laughs> multi-universe spiritual journey. Um, RNA polymerase can't proofread, so it actually mutates a lot, and that's important in terms of viral resistance developing really quickly. Mm. So it has a lot of mutations, which leads to natural selection when you start to introduce treatment, so you get resistance. Yeah, and that's why in the past a lot of treatments weren't very good until these new great sexy treatments that we've got. So what in 2005, some really smart scientists um, successfully started to develop a viral cell culture to grow it, and that's how they've tested all these new drugs and that's why we've got some great, um, some great treatments for it now. Um, the other in, in court- unsung heroes. Do you reckon those guys will unsung ever get heroes. any sort of Nobel Prize? Or, no, I don't know. I'd, probably not. Eh? Probably not. No. Oh, well, good on, poor uh, science. If you're out there and you're listening to Med Conversations, and I presume you guys are, good on you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that one for Earth. Yeah, Earth appreciates it. Yeah, all those researchers and scientists who get like no credit or recognition yeah, compared to it's doctors. Just, it's yeah. pretty. But we get it all. We get it pretty all. shitty for them. You know. I think that we are pretty much Earth's spokespeople at Medcon, here at Medcon. If you agree, jump on the Facebook page. Let us know how much you agree with us. If you don't agree, don't let us know. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> to our kind of um, God-appointed roles mm. from that point. Um, the, the, the important thing to know about hep C is that it's not directly damaging to the hepatocytes. So most of the damage that goes on is immune-mediated in kind of a complex way that we're not going to discuss here. Um, but some of the ways that um, the virus develops resistance is, like we said, it mutates really quickly. So there's six um, major genotypes that have been studied a lot. And within that, within one person, you'll have what are called all these different quasi-species. So mm. kind of... It's like a veritable zoo of hepatitis C floating around in your body. I like it. Yeah, like a zoo and little yeah. different animals and maybe they're from that same genotype but it's they like have slightly different... one virus that's walking around with like three ears on one side of its head and there's another one that has like 
one eye you know yeah. one he's just wearing an eye patch he thinks it's a fashion statement it's not actually a mutation <laughs> but the fact that he thinks it's cool is the mutation in his brain yeah and that's what makes him different yeah yeah or like a, a gun that can shoot the antivirals there's yeah. one that's got a gun there's an animal in the <laughs> with there a gun. is a gun carrying that's virus a, <laughs> that's the body. appropriate yeah, metaphor yeah yeah um and i guess the other key points would be um if you have an infection with one of these genotypes you don't have immunity to any others you can also be reinfected so just because you've cleared it once doesn't mean that that won't happen mm. yeah okay cool and obviously and sorry and the genotypes vary in prevalence based on where um where yeah. you're looking, which country? Yeah. What are the Uzbeks? What genotype are they famous for? I think three and six are in Asia. I'm yeah. not sure if that's specifically Uzbek. uh, Uzbekistan, if that follows the. If you're from Uzbekistan and listening, Asian trends. shout out to us. Let yeah. us know on the Facebook page. Let, let us know the Hep C what, what genotype, genotype you prevalences from your area. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shout out. We'll start a poll on the Facebook page. So, first summary slide. So, what have we said, Raul? What's been the main points? Uh, I think we're talking about acute coronary syndromes if I'm not mistaken mm. and presents with chest pain chest pain so chest pain. key point chest pain yeah. um, swollen calves <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, we've been talking about hepatitis C and what it is and you know the epidemiology around worldwide it's sort of almost as big as hep B across the world but bigger than hep B in Australia and predominantly associated with IV drug use um, but really there's a lot of vertical transmission from mother to baby about 2 to 8% risk um, it's an RNA virus in the Flaviviridae family, and that includes other illustrious members such as dengue and Zika virus. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people clear the virus, and some people go on to develop a chronic infection. It, it's predominantly, as the name suggests, in the liver and involves chronic changes in the liver, which we're going to talk about now. Hep C, um, HEC, and cirrhosis being the most important ones. Did I, did I nail that? You nailed it, mate. Thanks. You've been paying a lot of attention mm. and spiritually guiding me at the same time. Yeah, you can do it all. <laughs> it's great. So let's talk about clinical presentation. Uh, there's sort of two main clinical presentations out there. It's got like acute and the chronic. So some people present sort of with an acute infection. Is that right? Yeah. So the majority are actually asymptomatic. But for people who will have acute hepatitis C, it's usually about 10 to 14 weeks after they are infected. And about a quarter of them will have jaundice. Um, and they'll present with a, a hepatitis. It's very rarely like a severe fulminant hepatitis. And um, and so are the tests positive? Like if I someone like this comes in and I think, oh, this guy's going to have hepatitis C, is the test positive at that time? Well, this is kind of the key thing you want to understand. About a quarter of people will actually spontaneously clear their hepatitis C. So they'll get acute hepatitis C and their immune system will clear it and they won't go on to have chronic hepatitis C. Wow. And as we'll talk about a bit later with the testing, um, based on when you do the, the two blood tests that we've got, the H hepatitis C RNA test and the um, antibody test, you'll get, there might be a bit of a lag as to when they pop up positive. And the other, so what's the other form of hep C? So I guess, yeah, chronic hep C. Uh, and I suppose that's where they're like slowly progressive and they just, they go on to develop cirrhosis potentially after about 20 years of constant inflammation in the in the liver. And if you remember back to our cirrhosis podcast, you know, cirrhosis really represents just fibrosis as a consequence of that chronic inflammation in the liver. And then later on after that, you know, once they've developed cirrhosis, they can develop the hepatoma, also known as a hepatocellular carcinoma, which is a cancer really quite specific to people with cirrhosis. I mean, there is, you know, pretty much hepatitis B outside of hepatitis C is one of the few conditions where you can actually develop 
spontaneous hepatocellular carcinoma without cirrhosis. But yeah, so essentially they get the cirrhosis first from the electronic inflammation, and then after that they can develop a hepatoma. Um, And obviously if they're drinking or they have other disease processes on top, like type 2 diabetes, which gives them non-alcoholic fatty liver, um, then that sort of speeds along that progress. Instead of 20 years, it might be 15 years or 10 years, depending on the severity of what it is that they're doing. That sound about right? Yeah, it still sounds pretty good. And I think uh, one thing that's like a particular hot topic, at least in the physician's exam, is the co-infection between hepatitis B and HIV and hep C, which also, as I understand, tends to speed up your progress and maybe make the, all the manifestations a little bit more severe and a little bit more difficult to deal with. Yeah, that's that's right. And even um, what's becoming a big topic in the liver is this non-alcoholic related liver disease. Mm. And um, so conditions like diabetes can also speed up um, progression to cirrhosis as well as alcohol. Okay, Scott. So we hear all about these extrahepatic manifestations, which I always find difficult because it seems to be this grab bag of just like random conditions that, you know, bang, remember these. And I think... Probably if you're a medical student listening to this, probably the best way to deal with this is actually to just associate these in your mind and deal with what they are a bit later. Not that they even make sense that much later on. But yeah, what are, what are some of them? So as we talked about before, you've got this immune dysregulation with the hep C and cryoglobulinemia is basically where you get these proteins in your blood that precipitate at low temperatures and they can cause lots of weird symptoms. Like you can get purpura, you can get these vascular ulcers and Raynaud's and the classic rheumatology just a strange collection of symptoms yeah leave it to the side but you can test for them in the blood basically Mm. um so you can also get a lot of other conditions you can get a membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis you can get porphyria our other favorite physician's exam condition that doesn't seem to exist outside textbooks um lichen planus you can get lymphoma you can get keroconjunctivitis sicker yeah so i think the big ones remember there are the cryoglobulinemia the membranoproliferative gn does actually come up a little bit and yeah, maybe. The, and then there's a mildly increased cancer risk for lymphoproliferative disorders. Yeah. Yeah. So, big stuff. yeah. So, all right, let's go back to Lorenzo. So you're sitting in your clinic role and you've got to examine him. So what are you, what are you looking for? Mm, well, uh, I guess I'm looking for signs of hepatitis, cirrhosis, malignancy, and then the extrahepatic manifestations. Uh, breaking my, as I always do with my expert examinations, breaking it into very key concepts and so mm. I guess starting with the OBS uh, how are his OBS looking how are Lorenzo's OBS looking normal good uh, <laughs> so now we look for signs of cirrhosis portal hypertension again shout out to the other podcast if you do want some more information on that but does he have any say telangiectasia bruising or bleeding striae caput medusa which are those veins on the abdomen or is he, is he jaundice that's a good one GCS mm, 15 no encephalopathy yeah. yeah. no flap um and then I guess you know actually assessing the size and tenderness of his liver, looking at his spleen as well, and then just a quick look around everywhere else to see whether he's got you know, lymphadenopathy, maybe representative of a spread cancer, or he's got porphyric rash or Wilson's rings for chronic liver disease, you know, mm-hmm. Kaiser Fleischer rings, Kaiser Fleischer rings, favorite yeah. of Talia O'Connor, um, yeah. and then yeah again looking at the legs to see if he's got any peripheral neuropathy, or vasculitic rashes, which can be associated with cryoglobulinemia, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, now, a bit more about Lorenzo. Maybe more than you wanted to know, but he doesn't remember any specific thing that he thinks might have given him Hep C. So when he was four years old, he had a holiday in Egypt because his dad was the ambassador there. He's one quarter Mongolian heritage, which actually we said has a reasonably high incidence prevalence of um, Hep C. His mother was a nurse in World War Two. He's got no medical history apart from an appendectomy. 
he can't remember ever having hepatitis symptoms. He has a lot of kind of big weekends where he takes a lot of pills and doesn't get any sleep. Tut, tut, tut. And yeah, tut tuts, who would do that? Mm. And Lorenzo says he's also been part of a local injecting crew. But it's a bit the- like your local dance crew. <laughs> it's your local injecting crew. Yeah, they're kind of in the alleyway next yeah. door. Pop and-, and locking, <laughs> pop and locking injection needles in their arm uh, at the local injecting room. Yeah, so every Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. is his normal meet-up time for that group. They're very punctual, very, very punctual, punctual injecting crew. In fact, if you're late to that injecting crew's meetings, you only get two strikes and you're out. Yeah, you don't even get to kind of comment in the addendums on the meetings. No, you're just, you, you're for out. a week you're banned from contributing to the minutes. Uh, yeah, he also reports having a lot of unprotected sex with different female partners and um, having a tattoo in Thailand last year. And he has a history of five months in a prison in Honduras for charges that he does not want to discuss with us. Well, that is mysterious. Mm. If that doesn't make you scratch your chin, I don't know what does. <laughs> five <laughs> months as well. It's five very months. interesting sentencing time. Yeah. <laughs> if it had been six months, it would have been too much. Four months, he wouldn't have learned his lesson. So, <laughs> five months. Appropriately punished <laughs> yeah. for whatever he may or may not have done. Um, so... His examination is... There's obviously some risk factors there. And his examination is completely normal, apart from a wonderful collection of tattoos, which he got in Thailand last year, depicting all the living Prime Ministers of Australia dressed up as pirates. Luckily, he's two metres tall. He's got a lot of surface area to fit. And we've had a lot of Prime Ministers, particularly in the last... Fit the ones in the last five years, he'd be yeah. struggling on a forearm, so... Well, it's, I mean, it's our fault as doctors and, you know, improving healthcare and keeping all these people alive. And now I've got so many living Prime Ministers. <laughs> oh, all the living Prime Ministers. I thought, for some reason, oh, I presume no. that meant all the Prime Ministers who had ever been alive. But of <laughs> no, course, it's a bit ambitious. every Prime Minister <laughs> has ever been alive. All right. He's got more taste than well, that. That's even... Why would you have those tattoos? Anyway, all right. <laughs> it's a bit dorky, isn't yeah, it? I'll... I mean, he would have got bashed up in Honduras just... for that, I think. Would he have even... <laughs> they would have probably would have just been confused about who those people were. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay. Let's tell me about hep C blood testing, Scott. I know there's an antibody and that you can test for the actual viral load, but I don't know any more than that. Well, that's pretty much the main point. So, <laughs> done. <laughs> there's, there's, there's two main blood tests. It's not as complicated as Hep B. We've got all the different antigens oh, and antibodies. Yeah. And stay tuned for our Hep B podcast. Coming yeah, soon. hopefully. Mm. Um, <laughs> I like the degree of confidence. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just downgrading <laughs> the expectation a bit, <laughs> just in case things get busy. Oh, this guy's been spoiled lately. This is literally yeah, pumping this them out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but basically. If you think about what they're testing, so the Hep C RNA is testing for a certain um, threshold, low level of um, the viral RNA in the blood, usually below fifty international units per mil, and that will test if there's active infection there, and that will usually be positive within about seven to ten days of so it's being much infected. A direct test of whether you have virus in your system or not. Yeah, exactly. And the Hep C antibody, um, usually most people will seroconvert around six, but up to 12 weeks. Seroconvert meaning developing antibodies to the virus that's in your blood. Exactly. Um, So it might not be positive straight away if someone's just had an exposure. Um, But even if you've cured your... The key thing to understand is even if you've cured your Hep C, you've cleared it whether spontaneously or with treatment, your Hep C antibody will stay positive, but your Hep C RNA should be negative. Okay. All right. So you'll always sort of have this formed immune response, but the actual virus inside you will dissipate. And then I guess you can test for the genotypes as well, right, Scott? Uh, yeah. And is there, what is just sort of mainly for determining treatment, is that right? Yeah, and that'll kind of influence which um, antiviral gets chosen to be yeah. given. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Um, and the LFTs can often be mildly elevated, and ALT and AST being the ones that can be. Particularly ALT is, but it'll only be a mild elevation up to kind of 1.5 or two times the upper limit of normal, and levels can kind of fluctuate. Okay. Um, and obviously, you should also be thinking about screening for cirrhosis and um, and you and can, checking your cryoglobulins. Obviously, mm, make yeah. sure you do that in every. No, don't routinely order that in everyone. It's really. Because, yeah, a lot of people will have elevated cryoglobulins if they have hep C, but they don't have the clinical syndrome along with it. So, mm, a smaller percentage will actually have cry, you know, cryoglobulinemia. So it's complicated to interpret. Don't order a test that you can't interpret well. Yeah. Unless you've got some specialists in tow or maybe a spiritual guide like mm. I have now. <laughs> could order anything. Scott, order the cryoglobulins. <laughs> I will interpret them for you. Yeah, genotypes. <laughs> subgenotypes. Um, so what about imaging? Taking pictures of the liver? Selfies? So the main thing you want to work out is does the person have cirrhosis and do they have HCC? So for working out if someone's got cirrhosis, biopsy is the gold standard. But obviously because you're sticking a needle in their liver, if you can get away without doing it, that's what we like to do. Well, so I like to put needles in people, but that's more of a personal thing. <laughs> yeah, unless you're obviously a sociopath like Raul. <laughs> <laughs> but most people. <laughs> or maybe not even most people. Um, who knows? Um, so the common tests that they do are called the fibro scan, which is a measure of liver stiffness, where they send this signal and they test kind of things. It's elastography. They t- it's sort of like how your liver responds to a little sound pulse or a little vibration pulse. Yeah. And using that, they can work out how fibrosed it is. Yeah, and then the other one is the ARFI. What's the ARFI? The Acoustic Radiation Force Impulse via Ultrasound, of course. Yeah, great. It's a very yeah. serious-sounding test. Yeah. Um, and that basically tests for the same thing to see if they've got cirrhosis. And there's also some different scores you can use, like the APRI, which just involves your AST and your platelet count, and that's designed to help you exclude cirrhosis and avoid biopsies. And the other big score is the MELD score. Do you know what the MELD score is, Raul? Yeah. Uh, melting End-Stage Liver Disease Score or model for end-stage liver disease, as it's known in <laughs> the Western parts of Europe. Melting, modeling, no, you know, no. like same thing, both. really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the MELD score is basically a score that was invented to work out your mortality after what's called a TIPS procedure, transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt, which is a procedure done in people with end-stage liver disease. But now it's kind of spread, it's metastasized. It's melded mm. all its way all over the liver world, and it's used to determine really your severity of cirrhosis, mainly to work out whether you're a suitable candidate for transplant yet. Because we know people with a a MELD score above 15 do better with a transplant. People with a MELD score below 15 probably do better without it in terms of long-term mortality. So you got to wait till your liver disease is bad enough that the problems associated with a transplant are actually worth undertaking. Diatribe aside, the MELD score is essentially a score of assessing end-stage liver disease. Mm. And it's become quite a complex area now that we have that we can cure hep C and that can reverse some of the cirrhosis some of the time. So do you transplant them? Don't you transplant them? Do you mm. treat them before you transplant them? Which most of the time you would. Yeah. Yeah. It's evolving area. Don't listen to us. Mm. Listen to smart people of the future. <laughs> <laughs> so right, let's, let's talk about, so yeah. tell me about the, let's resummarize for everyone here. That's the key points. Um, so clinically, how does hepatitis C present? Yeah. So it's sometimes an acute hepatitis, but most people will be, Asymptomatic with their acute infection, yeah, yeah. Many will clear the virus spontaneously mm. without any drugs or anything. Mm. And then I guess some part of them go on to develop. You know, eighty percent of them go to develop chronic hepatitis. And the important complications once they develop chronic hepatitis is that eventually they sort of lead to cirrhosis after a lot of hepatic inflammation. And 
uh, hepatocellular carcinoma as a consequence of that or and decompensated cirrhosis. And again, our cirrhosis podcast is probably the single best source for information on cirrhosis on the internet. Scott, mm. is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think Nedjim kind of references our podcast. Yeah, usually it's that's the way it Back goes. up some of their so, statements. We know those guys. They know us. I mean, it's, it's all <laughs> back and forth. Um, yeah, and then you've got all the he- extra hepatic presentations of hepatitis C, so cryoglobulinemia, the glomerulonephritis, that membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, and of course, who could forget porphyria, porphyria. everybody's yeah. favorite porphyria. Um, and investigations-wise, you're looking at doing an hep C antibody, and these days you can do the hep C RNA as well, which will tell you a viral load. You want to image the liver to see whether or not they have cirrhosis or complications in their liver, so fiber scan, ultrasounds, uh, and then you've got all those scores, if they do have cirrhosis, to sort of assess the degree of cirrhosis, like the MELD score and the child PU score. Great. All right, back to Lorenzo. Back to Lorenzo. Amen. <laughs> back to Lorenzo. <laughs> How many ethnicities can we disparage in this one podcast? Four? four? <laughs> Getting on to four. We're already, yeah. We need to add we'll, hit, we'll hit the hands. Wait till hepatitis B. We've got a whole new library <laughs> of ethnicities. Yeah. Mm. Um, so Lorenzo looks over your shoulder nervously as you go through his blood results. So his liver function tests were pretty normal, except for an ALT at two times normal. And the Billy was also normal. Billy Rubin. Billy stands for. You worked on a gastro, you know, look at all yeah, this I know high all, flying. All the words. Yeah. Ah, what's Billy, man? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and it's LF. T, obviously. <laughs> so he's hep C antibody positive, and he's also hep C RNA positive. He's mm. got a normal crowd and nominal platelets. His APRI score is under one. And his fibrous scan is normal. So you don't think he has cirrhosis. So he's got evidence of the virus by hep C, RNA, and hep C antibody, but he hasn't got any evidence of complications from the virus yet in the forms of cirrhosis or uh, hepatocellular carcinoma. Though we don't have an ultrasound, but we presume he doesn't. Okay. Yeah. And the other, because you're a very thorough doctor, you also screened him for hep B, and you actually found that he was surface antigen positive Ooh. and core antibody oh, positive. Uh oh. Oh. And he also has hep B. Oh, okay. Are we going to. Uh- Looks like you're going to have to listen to our next podcast to find out more about that. Yeah. If it ever a, comes. We're going to downgrade the on that one. <laughs> downgrade the expectations. Yeah, yeah. If, if we do do a Hep B podcast, you should listen to it. Yeah, one day. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, will Israel and Palestine make peace? You know, who knows? Uh, there's all the big questions <laughs> they're trying to answer the UN summit. All right. To treat or not to treat? What are we doing here? So I know it, this guy's got Hep C now. He hasn't developed complications. Am I getting involved? Yeah. So this is like pretty... You know, the thing to be pretty proud about to be Australian. Australia was actually the first country in 2015 who launched a full, general, generally available, um, fully government-subsidised program to fund all these new combination direct-acting antivirals. I mean, those in the hep C positive, positivity world sort of view Australia as the first country to launch a full genocide against hep C. So, <laughs> I don't... You know, it all depends on how you look at it, really. <laughs> just had to bring race into it again. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't let you get away to, with No, just, yeah, couldn't yeah. keep it clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's they've actually got over a 95% chance of um, curing people mm. if you treat them with one of the, a full course of these combination direct anti- acting antivirals. Okay. And so we pretty much give it to everyone in Australia with a few minor contraindications, like if someone's pregnant, if their life expectancy is under a year, it's kind of a complex decision if their MELD score is quite high. Yeah. Um, so essentially, but who's going to be prescribed? Can your GP just whack these on and you know see you later? I'll see you in one mm. year when you cure it. Or what's the <laughs> what's the situation here? How are these how are these being administered? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. It's got to go through a specialist, so either a gastroenterologist or an infectious disease physician with um, 
an interest in hepatitis. So I think technically if it's in like a low access area, um, area, they can sometimes just, the GP can discuss it with them. But usually they should be, um, patients with hep C should be referred to a specialist. And it's a bit like HIV in that you... You give them two drugs because, like we said, there's this sort of mutant zoo population running around in your body, mm. and you want to reduce the chance of resistance. So you give them mm. two drugs for eight to twelve weeks to see what, to ensure that they don't become resistant to one and then proliferate, and you've lost so your whole chance there. Yeah, because um, if you've got like giraffes and squirrels, and you need to just knock them both out at the yeah, same time, I mean, you're going to need start, more than one weapon. You can't well, just have it. one if you weapon. You just have like a, a spinning blade that flies around <laughs> at say two Giraffe meters thing. high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> squirrels are going to proliferate, and those are going to be some angry squirrels. Angry squirrels. <laughs> they were friends with those giraffes, and now they are pissed. So you get yourself. Yeah. You don't want to end up with a whole bunch of angry squirrels on your hands here in this situation. Yeah, so that's why we. I think it normally costs about a hundred grand a pop for one of these courses for a giraffe or for. Um, <laughs> for shooting a draft I'm not sure what you have to pay probably, well. uh, probably you're welcome to say. inquire <laughs> you know, a rhino you're interested in dentistry aren't you yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah key point treat everyone yeah <laughs> kill rhinos uh, alright so you're just I think that's a good side there get back to that Scott we're ooh, we've let away the magic of med conversation. No, we're doing this all from the top. It's just a conversation. There's no slides. slides. What do you doing? mean slides? Who said slides? No, no, I, not I me. Had some stuff written on my hand. Yeah, yeah. bring that hand slide back. <laughs> um, so over time, in sort of the 1990s, we really just had interferon, which is a pretty aggressive drug, and interferon and ribavirin later on to treat Hep C. And like I said before, it was sort of seven, ten percent treatment rates. We weren't doing too well these days. Like Scott said, sustained virologic response, which is how we measure Hep C treatment, which basically means undetectable viral load at 12 weeks after treatment that's looking at 90 above 95 percent now with some genotypes so yeah, it's pretty big revolution in the last say 20 30 years very cool in 10 years time maybe no one will need to live, listen to this podcast mm. it'll be like an old outdated condition that the no spanish flu anymore. when i was young was yeah. used to take over the mediterraneans <laughs> there we go bang another race in there mediterraneans <laughs> yeah well at least it's you know a geographic region that's yeah a bit yeah, more acceptable <laughs> Okay, so talk me through some of the examples. Now, this so it gets pretty thorny when you're looking at all the direct a- acting antiviral treatment regimes. Um, there's a lot available, and there's some really new ones, and it's a very active area. So, you know, even I mean, Scott and I are about to do our exams, and it's pretty hard to get your head around all of these. But run us just through some of the the basic ones, Scott. Yeah, so there's five different classes which are just named based on which part of the viral genome they affect. And the only important things to remember really is that you need to have one from multiple classes and there's all these different combinations that they give. Most of these drugs have been invented within the last 10 years. So your consultant probably won't be that conf- confident around them either. So mm. you can probably... Be yeah, quick, I'd say like the big one really on is Harvoni, which when I was in America, you know, they're advertising on TV all the time. Um, and it's Lidipazvir le- and Sofosbuvir. Sofosbuvir. <laughs> Sofosbuvir. They do sound like Eastern yeah. European names. Um, but anyway, <laughs> they're good for genotypes 1, 4, 5, and 6. And I think the big thing about Sofosbuvir is it can be used in decompensated cirrhosis now, which is, I think, the first drug that has any evidence there. So, But outside of that, they all kind of end in vir. They're good for different genotypes. Honestly, I reckon just trying to... Yeah, well, I think Raul's now going to just run through a few different example names just in his accents, just so you can kind of familiar, familiarize <coughs> Actually, I think yourself. I you should do this, Scott. You do have oh, the we'll accent. We'll alternate. We can okay. alternate. I'll right. start. in Sovos Buvir, a.k.a. Arvoni. Grazoprevir, Elbasvir. Umbitasvir, Paritaprevir, Ritonavir, and of course, Dasabuvir. 
Yeah, I apologize for anyone who's <laughs> offended by that. Um, it's I, think we've gone, I think we've gone deep enough now that like most reasonable people should have stopped listening. Should've so if you're off. still listening, you're probably quite difficult to offend. You're still listening, I question your judgment really <laughs> in a lot of, yeah. lot of ways. But good on you. Um, anyway, you can look up all the different treatment regimes online. They're generally different for different genotypes. And they're also different based on whether you have decompensated liver disease and whether you have renal failure. Yeah. yeah. And there's also the other, I think as kind of a non-specialist, because obviously we're not going to be the ones um, prescribing these things. It's going to be like a you know gastro or ID consultant who's going to be deciding which regime. Mm. I think most the, uh, the most important thing to know about is a bit about the side effects and interactions. So... The most common side effects are pretty mild and pretty generalized. So you can get fatigue, headache, nausea, in kind of up, to, kind of up to twenty percent maximum for some of those side effects. Hmm. But there's this really great website called, um, made by the University of Liverpool called um, Hep C Drug Interactions. Hep Drug Interactions. So if you kind of Google that, Hep Drug Interactions, University of Liverpool. This, like, I think this site's pretty amazing. You can type in any Hep C drug because it's about kind of maybe even 15 or 20 commonly used ones, so you can't memorize all their side effects and things. And you can type in another random drug like omeprazole or warfarin or whatever, and it will actually tell you specifically what, what the interaction yeah. is, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is good. That is good. Um, yeah, and then I guess so once you know they're on an antiviral and they're being managed, and as we said, antivirals tend to have limited side effects, then I guess the main thing is to monitor them for cirrhosis, and then once they have cirrhosis, monitor them for HCC. So, you know, you're looking at standard cirrhosis management of portal hypertensive complications, which means management of varices, management of uh, checking up for HCC, management of ascites you should develop, managing of their fluid status, which, you know, again, coming and management of hepatic encephalopathy should develop. If you check out our cirrhosis podcast, you will find the Nedgem Certified and I'm going to put that badge on it now. The Nedgem Certified Resource mm. for Cirrhosis. Yeah, so we're definitely sponsored by Nedgem. Yep. We're, um, we're secretly 56-year-old consultants yep. who have just kind of come back. Yeah. Hey, kids, look, we're cool <laughs> like you. You should listen to our podcast. That's what this thing is called. Our radio cast. <laughs> podcast. The ham radio cast. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so, let's, uh, let's, let me fire out a couple of questions at you here. Scott, how do I know if I put if someone's been on this treatment? How do I know the treatment's successful? So you're testing for the Hep C RNA at 12 weeks after treatment, and if that Hep C RNA is negative, even though the antibody will stay positive, that's called sustained virological response, and we call that a cure. So there's no evidence that once you've cured it, that the virus can reactivate, but you can obviously have a bit of residual damage. Like if you had really bad cirrhosis, you might get that's, a bit of improvement, but you might still have some yeah, problems. We're going to have some fibrosis there. Yeah. Okay. Is there a post-exposure prophylaxis like in HIV? And if I get a needle stick, what do I do? So there's no post-exposure prophylaxis. So it's a bit dangerous if you're kind of jabbing around people on the ward. Mm. And current guidelines recommend testing at baseline and then testing again at three to six months. Um, because remembering that, you know, 15 to up to 50% in some studies will spontaneously clear the virus. So there's no point giving them a full $100,000 treatment regime if we're going to clear it anyway. Okay, let's say I'm a guy who's got a $100,000 treatment regime and I'm thinking about getting back into the opioid game because, fuck it, man. Like, there seems to be no consequence to this. Uh, advice? Um, well, it sounds like you're doing, obviously, a really clever thing and I support your life <laughs> decision. But up to 25% typically get reinfected with current prevalence rates. Okay. 
And what about concurrent hep B? What am I doing with that during this? Are, are there my direct antivirals treating my hep B as well, if I have that as well? Uh, good question. No. No. Oh, so well. you actually should consider um, concurrent hep B treatment for suppression mm-hmm. while because you're on the hep Because it can reactivate C. the hep B. Exactly. Messing around with that good little point. viral zoo. Okay, let's summarize treatment for you. Um, basically, all patients in Australia who, who are diagnosed with hep C should be referred to a specialist for treatment these days. And these days we have these direct acting antivirals, which you use in combination for 8 to 12 weeks and are over 95% efficacious depending on your genotype. Um, You need to really monitor for drug interactions while you're on them because there's a whole bunch of interactions in the CYP, you know, inducers and inhibitors of the CYP450, the cytochrome enzymes. Mm. Um, And then you test for the sustained virologic response, which is defined as 12 weeks post-treatment, so three months post-treatment. And if at that point in time they're RNA negative, celebration. Yeah, cured. Cured. They are they are a manifestation of the modern miracle of that idea that was had in the brain by one. I presume only one scientist many years ago. Uh, yeah, that guy. Attention. What a great guy. Mm. And girl with, or girl? Okay. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Sorry. Whoa. Okay. We, we are racist on this podcast. We are not Sexist. Texas. Scott. Yeah. Take that out That's, of here. Yeah. It's inappropriate. We're not racist, by the way. I hope that. I hope that isn't going to become a thing. But there's those main conversations, guys. Aren't those those racist guys? <laughs> Not racist. Um, all right. Reinfection can occur, but, you know, uh, react- reactivation after you've cured cannot. So let's go back to Lorenzo, finish the story. So he's got genotype 1, and you, together with your consultant, start him on treatment with Savospavir and Lidipasvir. Lidipasvir. In addition to Intecavir to prevent his hep B reactivation. So you monitor him for drug side effects. You stop his omeprazole because it interacts because you carefully checks the Liverpool drug interaction place. Mm. And you tell him not to take any other random over-the-counter medications and also to advise any contacts he's had at his little fun injecting group to also get themselves tested. <laughs> it's like a mother's group. Like a mother's group. Yeah, injecting... With I bad like, veins. It, it was an injecting yeah. crew before. Now it's an injecting group. <laughs> well, it's become more formal. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's progressed. It shouldn't have been injecting association. <laughs> Union. <laughs> the injecting party of Australia. <laughs> what would they be going for? <laughs> They're against injecting rooms. Free drugs. Yeah, <laughs> free drugs for them. Yeah. Um, um, and he returns after completing his course very carefully and with a repeat set of bloods at 12 weeks he's got hep c antibody positive and hep c rna negative what does that mean sustained virologic response baby this guy is cured lorenzo thanks you profusely he hugs you he crushes you he says he's so thankful and he will never ever inject anything again even vaccines Mm. (laughs) (laughs) good move lorenzo yeah so you've you've had a good impact on him you tell him to avoid um, iv drug use and focus on his pastry skills and he nods with a cheeky glint in his eye. Oh, I'll be focusing on the impetuous curve, homie. Ding! I think we just hit the 10, uh, <laughs> yeah, ten go. Was... Uh, ethnic stereotypes there. <laughs> little, little prize. Call in now and receive the 10 ethnic insulter podcast pack. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, give us an ethnicity and we can try and be disparaging we'll towards it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we've pretty much finished. That took longer than I hoped. <laughs> yeah, if you've stuck through 42 minutes of racist bile, then good on you. Um, of course, that's not this, but in the past, <laughs> if you have stuck through racist bile for 42 minutes, good on you. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's an important topic, Hep C, and uh, I think we should do a little summary here now. 
Yeah, so let's let's kind of alternate. Let's okay, throw, you go, you some, throw some facts around. You go first, a little handball of facts. So hep C is a, from the Flavivode RNA virus, and it can cause chronic infection or acute infection. Most people get it, yeah. It's got about a 1% prevalence, um, and it's especially high in people who are intravenous drug users, have a history of HIV, are in prison, and regionally from some areas of the world that you might not expect, France, Germany, United States, but also Middle East, Mongolia, Africa. Asia. Mm. Yeah. Um, most people are asymptomatic, and some will have this presentation with acute hepatitis plus minus jaundice, but, and many of them, up, up to 30 or 40%, will actually clear the virus. Okay. Others get chronic hepatitis C and get progressive liver inflammation, which causes cirrhosis and ultimately end up with, oh, potentially end up with a hepatocellular carcinoma. And um, hep C is treatable with combination direct acting antivirals. Um, very effective. Should, everyone should be referred and get treated. Mm. And you can be reinfected, so don't don't get back into those pastry groups that you've been heavily <laughs> involved in. Yeah, like yeah, maybe their group also kind of did pastry related stuff. As oh well. yeah, Inject, <laughs> injecting in pastries. They've got an Instagram. Yeah, follow them. should we start? It? Hashtag. Oh, so this is the end of the podcast, but I just want to quickly say some things. I, I need to get some things off my mind. All right, go thank, on. Thank you, everybody, for all the likes on Facebook. We cracked a thousand. Is this the first podcast since cracking a thousand likes? That's the first think, one we'll release. Yeah, probably, I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, it feels feels good to have done that, and you know we enjoy hearing your feedback. Get on the Facebook page, tell us how much we suck or how good we are, and maybe just leave us a nice little like or follow us. It, it does. It's, it can yeah. be a little thankless doing these like long, long podcasts that take a long time to prepare, but it's good to hear from you guys. And if you think there's anything else we should add, or if you think there's another medium such as, I think we have a Twitter account with an Instagram or something that we should be doing. <laughs> Yeah, if you know. want more of Raul's selfies, yeah, he's, he can he can kind of do requests. He can do like specific environments, and yeah, you know, just invite specific costumes, accents. Yeah. If I'm doing a video, whatever, you, whatever <laughs> you're after, yeah, whatever your kink is, yeah. he's there for you. I got you. Okay, <laughs> cool. Bye. See ya. <laughs>